Hello, and welcome to the Enlightened Awakening Podcast. A place of honest and authentic conversations. I'm your host, Timmy. And I'm Uriel. And today, we wanted to have a conversation about what we see happening in society in terms of the current state of mental health and how we've perceived it here in Canada, how we've perceived it in North America in general. And so, Uriel, before we started the recording here, you had a couple interesting points about what you've been seeing happening as of late. Why don't you go ahead and dive a little bit more into what you were saying earlier? Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about mental health and just the way that the system works itself. The reason why I've been thinking about it is the work that we do exposes us to the system. And we've seen quite a significant surge in people wanting to access the system. And there's been quite a bit of problems, I would say, with them being able to access it. And in a place like Canada that has universal health care where everybody has access to it, uh, with the exception of some privately paid services, it's very apparent to me that the current system is failing the entire nation. Yeah, honestly, I think that it's a blessing that we have universal health care, but with universal access also comes long wait times. I know some people who have desperately been waiting to get onto, well, they've been on a wait list for counseling services, let's say. And even though it is free, if you're not able to access it, it's not of any benefit to you. Here in the city that we live, I know there's at least two specific places that will allow you to be able to access free counseling services, but they are limited in how much they're able to offer. I think it's like five sessions that they're able to offer you and that's it. Most people who are struggling with their mental health, particularly with everything that's gone on in this last couple years with COVID, that's not going to be nearly enough to even begin scratching the surface. And so it's no surprise that people are needing a higher level of support with everything that's happened. But it is just sad to see that an unintended downside of this universal access is the fact that people have to wait a long time. I think one of the other crazy things for me is just how expensive counseling services actually are. I only recently found out that the standard rate for counseling, whether it's from a somebody who has a master's in psychology or social work, it's $200 an hour. $200 an hour. Now, yeah, it's incredibly expensive. <laughs> the average person is not going to be able to afford that, particularly if they need to have some pretty intensive therapy that's happening mm-hmm. once a week or a few times a month, that is a significant financial burden on top of everything else that people are having to deal with. The price of groceries, inflation in general, everything is much more expensive than it was before. And so the system is broken, man. And I'm curious to know what some of your thoughts are on what you see as some potential solutions or changes that maybe can happen at the government level or things that even we can do ourselves as individuals to address or maybe mitigate the impact of some of these limiting factors. Before I get on that, I just want to paint a picture in everyone's minds of just how bad it is with what you were alluding to in regards to the pricing to access counseling. But if you think about it, one in four people worldwide will be affected by mental health or neurological disorders at some point in their lives. Crazy. 
So when you think about that, that's a lot of people. And that's going to be a whole lot of people that don't have the economical means or the feasibility to be able to afford the help that they need. And I think that in many ways, we've become hypocritical to some degree in our recommendations for things that can improve mental health. Now, that is not to say that the recommendations made are not actually helpful, but there needs to be a significant shift in the way that society sees mental health and just generally the stigma that surrounds it. And we're exposed to it every, you know, single day that we're at work. You know, right? it's stunning to me to see that even within the world of healthcare, there is stigma towards mental health. Like, mm-hmm. I never could have fathomed that that would be the case because you would have broken that everybody has an understanding that this is no different than having a broken toe or a broken arm or needing some sort of medical help for, let's say, malnutrition or sepsis. But yeah. the mentality is entirely different and it is very heartbreaking to see. Yeah, I mean, you know, even just for us as healthcare workers, right? There are the constant reminders that we get told about practicing self-care and how self-care can increase the longevity of your career. But let's be let's be real, right? Self-care alone is not enough in a system and in a world that requires you and demands more of you every single day. In order for you to be competitive in this world, you've got to be able to produce results. And there isn't enough time for self-care. And so we've got to find ways to make that time and to make it intentional and meaningful when we're practicing that self-care. True. The other thing, and, and I'm so glad you touched on it, is how important it is for us as individuals to talk about our problems. But just like you said, with how outrageously expensive it is to access professional help in the form of counseling, a lot of people don't have other people to talk to. And so how is anyone that doesn't have access to these professional services or doesn't have a strong support system supposed to get the help that they need or find, for that matter, somebody to talk to. Yeah. It's a good question, man. It's a very good question because, as you said, the average person doesn't really have too many options for who to turn to. And even if they are blessed with friends who are willing to lend a listening ear or who are actually supportive, you do need to have some degree of training in order to guide somebody through something that is a legitimate mental health problem, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes just having a listening ear isn't enough. And of course, Mm -hmm. people will talk about things like if we're talking specifically, let's say depression, that medication can help, but the wait list to see a psychiatrist is even longer than the wait list to see a, a therapist. And what's even sadder in my mind is that some people actually need to have a acute mental health crisis and end up being admitted to an inpatient unit, sometimes against their will before they're able to get that help. And that to me is a symbol of a very broken system. But I'll be honest, I 
I'm not entirely sure what, if there are any fixes that aren't going to be something that is relatively long-term. I know that psychiatrists are in very short supply, but how long does yeah. it take to become a psychiatrist? Like that's not something that you're able to shortcut. It's not something that is going to change overnight. And it is really tricky to think about what ultimately is going to make a difference. I think in my head, funding is one thing. It, it, is, it is always going to help to have more resources available, but if those resources aren't being managed correctly or we don't have efficient places to put them, then how helpful could that really be? Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes it's really hard not to see the system as it's built in, in some ways just to profit off of people's mental health issues. And, and you know, you'd think that the government would step in and see the increasing need for mental health support and try to create subsidized programs. Um, I know that there's community supports, but those are already incredibly overwhelmed. I mean, there's local systems that have wait lists that are almost a year long. So if you're struggling right now and you want to see a counseling that's paid for, that's free of charge, that has no continuity because you'll always get whoever's available for that day, that's crazy. Yeah. That's not to say that all of the people that are charging these prices for private care do not deserve it. That's not what I'm saying. I think it's great to have that access to those services if you have the financial means to do that. But with the current economical climate of the world and the increasing need of mental health support, you'd think that this would be an area of improvement that the federal government would be wanting to address. And it's it's heartbreaking just seeing how broken the system is. And unfortunately, it's not a topic that seems to be brought up that consistently. Yeah, you want to know what I hear about it every year is in February when they do the Bell Let's Talk Day. That's it. That's it, bro. And right. There's a lot of talk about, yeah, donating to, the, to Bell to contribute these funds, but... I've yet to hear a report on this is what we've actually accomplished with those funds. I don't know about you. Have you ever heard that? No, I haven't. Yeah. But, and, you know, it kind of makes me sad too. Um, I'm not super familiar with that program itself, but a lot of these big companies get donations from the public. And then they actually, those are tax deductions, if I'm not mistaken. They must be. So... You know, these donations that they make on behalf of the thousands of people that donate to these uh, huge corporations, they get those deducted from their taxes, which I think is crazy. And I may be wrong, but that's my basic understanding of, of donations themselves, right? So I feel like we should be putting more money back into the pockets of the people that need them. And I mean, we're getting a little bit sidetracked, but I think that if we want to change the system that is clearly broken, there has to be some type of reform to prioritize accessibility and affordability of mental health services. And I can only see this happening by taxing and creating more uh, funds for the nation. Now, I'm not super versed when it comes to these things, but in the same way, like it's happening in the U.S., I think we really need to tax the ultra-rich and utilize those funds for social programs to help the people that need it. Yeah, it's always a contentious issue, the idea of raising taxes. But you're right, the money does have to come from somewhere. 
And mm -hmm. in terms of like practical solutions, you did mention something that I think could be a feasible solution, which is this idea of subsidizing those costs. Because the people yeah. who are offering these services, I do think that $200 an hour is in the grand scheme of things, probably fair in terms of wages, well, in terms of what to charge, because inevitably a lot of these individuals either work for an agency where the agency takes their cut, or if they're running their own business, then there are costs of running business, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that for their skill set, it is probably fair, but it's steep to ask the consumer. Well, I hesitate to say consumer, but let's say that it's a steep price for the consumer. And that's where subsidization mm -hmm. could come in. But in terms yeah. of bringing it down to a more micro level, what are some of the things that you think individuals are able to do today, right now, where they are with what they have to start maybe walking through that journey of trying to achieve a greater sense of mental health? I know you talked about self-care. Are there any other ideas that you've been mulling over recently as to how individuals can practically do that today? For sure. I mean, the top things that come to my mind currently, first, you know, I'll, I'll start with, I think, the general thought that we're always told that happiness is the key to, to a healthy life. And obviously, this will then improve your mental health. But honestly, that's not really always that simple. You can't always be happy. As human beings, we're incredibly emotional. And I think allowing yourself to feel those emotions and knowing that going through these emotions is a normal process. And also understanding that even though people tell us to be strong in times that are dire, I think the truth is that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to reach out to your loved ones. It's okay to reach out to your friends and let them know that you're struggling, right? And I think that working towards minimizing the stigmatization of mental health begins with us individually and normalizing it and normalizing vulnerability because I think we still live in a world that is very much against demonstrating vulnerability because it's, it's seen as a weakness. But in reality... I think vulnerability is a step forward towards emotional maturity. Well said. There's something that you touched on in terms of happiness that I wanted to come back to. I've heard it said that happiness is based on what happens, and this is why it ebbs and flows in life, and that what we should aim to pursue instead is joy, because joy is, there's more choice there. Right. Happiness, you don't really have a whole lot of control over that. But joy is something that you can choose to actively pursue. For me in my life, where that really comes into play is when you are pursuing something that you see as purposeful. And I think that when I've been in dark places in my life, that has ultimately been the key to getting out of that is reminding myself of what it is that I truly value to find things that I can do on a day-to-day -day basis that are, are in alignment with the things that are of utmost value to me and to aim to make progress that is the equivalent of, let's say, even in at least 1% better or aiming to get 1% better in those areas each and every day. 
It is tough though, because when you are in the, the deep pits of despair, it's very difficult to see a small source of light, but the light is still yeah. there. And okay. that's where what you were talking about earlier in terms of having people to talk to is critical. There are some people in my life that I stay in touch with simply because I fear that they may not have anyone else checking in on them. One of my greatest fears is that one day I would get some sort of notification that tells me that somebody who maybe I was worried in that way or who I knew was a little bit isolated and maybe didn't take the time to reach out to them to build those bridges to hear that they took their own life. For me personally, I am very grateful that nothing like that has happened to me and I hope it never does. But yeah. I do know people that have been through that. And oftentimes what they say is, if only I knew or I had no idea that this person was suffering in this way. And connection, honestly, is one of those most, the, one of the most critical things, I think. And so you really hit the nail on the head when you, when you mentioned that. Yeah. And honestly, I'm a huge advocate of taking a break from social media or just getting rid of it in its entirety. And that sounds a little bit hypocritical because we are engaging in social media, but I think it's really important to disconnect from the delusion that social media creates in our minds because we subconsciously create these negative thoughts in our minds by laying down and maybe watching a video of an incredibly successful person. And it makes us feel very poorly about ourselves when that very successful person may also be doing the exact same thing that you're doing. But we don't make that connection, right? We're not critically thinking or reflecting on these thoughts. They're just sort of sitting there in our mind. And when you continue to feed yourself and not you're not actively thinking about these thoughts, it can lead to a lot of feelings of disappointment. So I found just getting rid of social media has done an incredible job of helping me maintain a balance in my mood and my perception of life. But if you want to continue to use social media, I think it's really important to filter through the content that you're uh, utilizing on a daily basis to ensure that it's creating positive emotions within you so that social media can benefit you as opposed to be detrimental to your health. Well said, brother. And I think that Social media definitely is one of those tools that the outcomes you're going to see are hugely dependent on how you choose to leverage it. But the average person, you're right, would really benefit from stepping away. I think another thing that I've recently tried to incorporate that kind of go hand in hand is practicing stillness and taking the time to appreciate nature. I'll say for myself, that is not something I've ever really prioritized. I'll be honest, I've never been camping. I'm not, that, that idea doesn't really appeal to me, but I understand now more than ever why that is something that so many people do value. There is something so powerful about unplugging from what you usually do and going in and just taking a moment to be still in a place yeah. that is free of the distractions of everyday life. Yeah. You know, I've been doing, I'm so happy you brought that up because what I've been doing every morning for the last two weeks now is every time I wake up, 
I make sure that my phone is not anywhere near me and I spend one hour in the morning. I don't look at my phone for anything. I don't look at any social media. I'll do my morning routine. I'll drink some water and then I'll, I'll just try to be with myself in my own thoughts. And it has improved my life significantly yeah. because I don't immediately wake up to any type of message or notification that can evoke negative emotions in me. So it almost builds like a buffer zone within me in that hour where I'm allowed to just be myself, be happy and like enjoy life. Yeah. And uh, I found that my mood has significantly improved doing that and also just my productivity because like I'm up, I'm not on my phone in bed. So if anybody's willing to try that and practice some stillness, as you said, try it in the morning. It doesn't have to be for an hour. Could be 15 minutes, 30 minutes, but give yourself that time to start your day right. It's a game changer. And I'm glad that you brought this up because I used to be so, so, so much better at that. And yeah, for me, it was about an hour, hour and a half. I had a very particular routine that I saw was yielding immense benefit in my life. But as life inevitably got more busy for me, I started falling away from that because I started telling myself, oh, I've got all these things that I've got to do first thing in the morning that I need to start diving in now. So thanks for mentioning that, man, because it reminded me of the importance of doing that. Because what I have found is that in the morning time, when you first wake up, especially those first 15 to 30 minutes, your mind is still in an unguarded state. And yeah. one piece of negative input in that unguarded state can derail your whole morning. It can set the tone for the rest of your day. Yeah, it can throw your whole day off too. It's crazy. Right, but then the flip side of that is intentional input intentional positive input in the morning can actually make your whole day and then set you up for success for the remainder of that day. And I've seen a great sides of it. Right. And so yes, that right. is, it's, it's so critical to be intentional about that morning time. And I think that that is something that anybody is able to be strategic in how they use that time and to see immediate benefit from that. I think one other piece that I also need to get back to, and this conversation has been great because it's just reminding me of all of the things that I know I need to be doing that I haven't been, which is a good explanation for me as to why I'm feeling that life has been more difficult, it's been more of a struggle, and that I'm just running everywhere and not getting as much as I would have liked done. And that other key piece for myself is journaling. I used to be very diligent in taking the time a few times a week to jot down my thoughts, to identify patterns in my thinking, to see themes that have been prevalent in my internal dialogue, and to take stock of what the permeating themes have been. I went back to my journal probably a couple months ago and realized I had not journaled anything in over a year. And I was stunned because I hadn't realized it had been that long since I had taken the time to be still and document what it is that is going on within me. There's some bit of like cyclical nature to that too, though, because you do things so consistently for a while and then things are going so, so well that you kind of drop these things off and you only get reminded of them when you kind of like hit a bit of a rock bottom and then you're like, oh, I got to start up again. Is that what happened to you? 
most definitely because you get good and you forget why you got good and you stop doing the things that got you to be good in the first place right and you definitely said it well man that I think that that was a big piece of it. I think the other thing for me is that I went through a lot of different things that just put me into crisis survival mode. And I know for myself that, yeah, I'm very good at getting through hard times, but oftentimes I'm not going to get through unscathed. And this is one of those times where I'm coming out of a season like that, just trying to remember what it is that allowed me to be able to get to that point where I felt like I was good in the first place. And a number of those things have been covered in this conversation, right? Taking the time to be still, to look within, to see what's going on, to reconnect with nature, to be intentional about how you spend those precious morning time moments, and then to take the time to pursue things that are in ultimate alignment with your values. While that isn't going to help you if you have a serious mental health concern, it, it's not going to cure it. It may mitigate it for a moment, but at the end of the day, professional help is needed at times. And as you so rightfully said at the beginning, it's nothing to be ashamed of. And there is vulnerability in asking for help. And I wish that that was something that was more celebrated so that people wouldn't feel that stigma. Inevitably, there is work that we need to do as a society to ensure that this mental health crisis doesn't get worse than it already is, but there is still things that we can do as individuals today to address that in our own lives and in the lives of those that we love. Yeah. And, uh, just to close it off, I just want to say it's really important for people to, to set those intentions for their days every morning and making sure that they are going into their day with those positive thoughts to try to create a buffer zone for all that negativity that may surround them as the day progresses. And additionally to that, I think it's really important for all mental health care professionals to be advocating for these changes and to continue to voice our concerns in order for this to have enough power to create systemic change. Well said, brother. And I think another piece of that, since we're coming into that time, at least where we live here, when you go to vote, remember what it is that is truly important to you. Take the time to study the platforms. And I don't want us to get too political, but I just wanted to mention that. Take the time to understand what it is that those who are seeking to represent you are saying. But also take the time to look back at their track records and see who it is that aligns with what you see to be the most important issues. Because advocacy is very important and representation of what you value is also very important. So take the time to study in that way as well. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. We greatly appreciate your continued support. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast everywhere where podcasts are found because we are on every single platform. Thank you as always. And until next time. And have a good day.